I'm excited today. I'm excited that we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. What a significant moment for all of human history. Together, we get to celebrate this significant moment. Uh, you know, the calendar is split in half because of this moment. Uh, we have A.D. and B.C., which is really marking there are, is a time before Christ was on the earth, and there is a time after Christ was on the earth. Uh, and what an incredible thing that we get to celebrate together that literally our calendar is split in two because of this momentous occasion uh, that God decided to dwell among us in human form. And we're going to have a two-part mini-series this week and next week just kind of celebrating Christmas. And this week we're going to uh, look at Mary's hymn. For those of you that don't know, Mary was the one who was chosen by God to conceive and carry Jesus in her womb for nine months, close to 10 months. I have kids. I know the whole nine-month thing is a lie. It's like 10 months. Uh, for anybody that has kids, you know this to be true. Uh, so she carried Jesus. She was chosen. And then uh, her and Joseph raised Jesus in their family. Uh, he was the oldest of many brothers. Uh, and we are going to look at the story of right after Mary finds out, she sings a hymn uh, to God. And, and next week, there's two births that actually we celebrate during this time. There's the birth of Jesus and also the birth of John, John the Baptist. A lot of times, John the Baptist gets overlooked, and we're going to look at his birth next week. Uh, but without John the Baptist, we wouldn't have had Jesus because John was to prepare the way for Jesus. And so during this two-part miniseries, we're going to be looking in uh, Luke, the beginning of Luke. Uh, and today we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. And you can read with me on the screens. I'm going to read our passage. We're going to read it together, and then we will dive in to look at this. And so starting in verse 39, it says, In those days Mary, or the mother of Jesus, arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb, the baby that Elizabeth was carrying was John the Baptist, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, replied, Mary replies, and she begins to sing this hymn, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So I want to add some context to this passage uh, before we go further and really dive into what's happening. At the end of Malachi, that was really the last time God had spoken to his people through a prophet. And Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And at the end of this book, what happens is there are 400 years of a gap of God speaking through a prophet to his people in Israel. And so for 400 years, his people are patiently, sometimes not so patiently, waiting for their Messiah, the one who was promised to them that would sit on the throne forever. To give you some context into how long 400 years is, America as a country is only 242 years old, 242 years old. So imagine almost America times two. This is how long that the people had gone without hearing from a prophet of the Lord. They were anxiously at this point anticipating the chosen Messiah to come and to bring them the much-anticipated freedom that was promised. In that time, over the last 400 years, Israel came under the rule of the Roman Empire. During this time, the Roman Empire had continued to conquer to them what was the known world, all of the great people of the Mediterranean. You have the people of Europe, the people of Asia Minor, the people of North Africa, of Egypt. All of these people had begun to fall under the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Romans ruled over Israel, and so Israel was getting even more anxious because they knew a savior would free them forever from every yoke of any emperor on earth. So in this passage, what happens right before this is important because Mary gets visited by an angel, and this angel has something really important to say to Mary. And so the angel comes to Mary, and you know, I don't, I don't think anybody's been visually visited by an angel before, but I would assume if an angel came to me and all the majesty of messenger of God would come, I would probably be scared. And so Mary is fearful. And the angel says to Mary, though, he starts off, and this is earlier in the passage, the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so an angel comes and visits Mary, and he says, Mary, guess what? You are going to have a baby. And this baby is the one that everyone has been waiting for. His kingdom is not going to have an end. You will call him Jesus, which is the derivative of Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. He is the promised Messiah. This is what all your people have been waiting for. Guess what? You are lucky. God has found favor in you, and you are going to conceive. 
And Mary's response is basically, wow, but I'm a virgin. This doesn't make sense. You know, anybody kind of give you good news that doesn't make sense? It's like, I want to be excited right now, but I'm not really sure how this is going to happen. Give me a little bit more details. And so the angel says, don't worry about that. This year, of course, you're getting Justin's paraphrasing, paraphrasing of the Bible right now. The angel says, don't worry, God has that covered for you. Nothing is impossible with him. That's what the angel says to Mary. And then right before the angel leaves, he says, basically, oh, by the way, Elizabeth is pregnant too. She is going to have a baby as well. And so right after the angel tells this to Mary, that is where our story picks up. The angel comes, visits Mary, tells her this incredible news, then tells her Elizabeth, her cousin, is pregnant as well. And so Mary takes that news and then pick up to where we left off. She gets up and she goes and she visits her cousin, Elizabeth. And so now after Mary journeys to Elizabeth, it says in verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What is great here is Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And something that we maybe take for granted today is the filling of the Holy Spirit on all people that profess Jesus Christ. Back then in the Old Testament, the filling of the, of the Holy Spirit was only for a chosen few. You see that the, Holy, the Spirit of God comes and fills only a certain amount of people. And so this is a big deal. Elizabeth gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and then basically she sees what Mary is carrying, the Lord and the Savior. And she says, Mary, you are blessed among women. And so Mary hears this. She just heard what the angel told her. Then Elizabeth gives her a prophetic word. And then so she has nothing else to do at this point than to break out in a song of praise to God. And that's where I want to camp today. That's what I want to talk about because I love this song that Mary sings. And what's really cool about this song is we're going to see a lot of correlations to the book of James. Now, if you have been tracking with us for the last few months, you would know that we just went through the book of James. And so what I want to do is as we read through the song, I'm going to point out a lot of scriptures in James because what I want us to understand as a church is the continuity of scripture, that the things that are spoken are the, the, the character traits of God, and it's not just, James did not just make something up out of the top of his head, but it is how the people of God are taught to worship God and act among each other for generation after generation because God has not changed. And so Mary starts out her hymn and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant." Mary starts out praising God, right? Jesus, when he says, this is how you pray, he teaches us to pray, hallowed be thy name. He starts to teach us to pray that we praise God. And so Mary starts off this song, she praises God. So often when we go to God, we start off with our complaining state rather than realizing the mighty and amazing God that we serve to then change our mental 
state, in our emotional state, to address to the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the one who created the heavens and the earth. So Mary starts out praising God, the one that she calls her Lord and her Savior. She's saying, you are the one I obey, and you are the one that I look to for my salvation. This is who you are. Something amazing just happened to her. She's, you know, I would think that after the angel spoke to her, she's probably in a state of like, is this really happening? You know, anybody ever get some really incredible news and you're just having a hard time processing it? Like, is this, is this true? Is this actually, is this real life? Anybody ever have that moment before? I've asked myself a few times in my life, is this real life? One of those times is when after wearing down Heather for five weeks, she finally caved in and started to date me. <laughs> Most of you don't know that story, but the first time I asked Heather out, she politely said no. <laughs> and then I politely said, okay, until you tell me for real yes or no, you're just going to have to deal with me in your life. But I still remember the day that she finally said yes. We were walking home from church. Such a spiritual beginning to our relationship. <laughs> it was a Tuesday night prayer meeting at, at Resurrection Church, and we were walking home, you know, in our young days where we could walk 60 blocks and still not want to kill ourselves after we were done. You know, our church was on 40th Street, and she lived on 95th Street, so we were taking, yeah. It was a nice, long walk home. And so on the way, on the way home... I, I had asked her, she had finally kind of, sort of admitted that she had feelings for me, but wasn't, you know, really ready to admit it yet. So on the walk home, I asked her, I was like, so are we in a relationship now? Like, <laughs> uh, and her, her response to this was, well, how do you define relationship? <laughs> I'll never forget this conversation. And then in my head at that moment, I just went, oh, shoot. How do I define this so that she says yes? <laughs> and I said, well, it seems like you have feelings for me. You know I have feelings for you. So I think we should grow together in these feelings in a healthy way. That would be us defining relationship. <laughs> right? I put on the G game real quick. I was like, all right, how do I make this work? She said, okay, I could say yes to that. I was like, yes. What she didn't know is I went home and I was like, man, is this real life? I woke up the next morning. I was like, this is crazy. So I, I, I threw a little test out there. I was like, yo, she's my girlfriend now. I'm going to call her. <laughs> so it's like 8 in the morning. I've been up for three hours staring at my ceiling. And I call her. You know, this is like texting live back in the day. I don't even remember. We must have spoken on the phone like three times in our entire life at that point. And I call her, and she answers like, hello? And I'm like, hi, good morning. She's like, good morning? <laughs> Why are you calling me? I'm like, well, we're in a relationship now. I figured I'd call you. I'm just, this is my right. I get to call you when I want now. <laughs> 
So you, you have these moments in our life where it's just like, man, it's like, pinch me. Is this, is this real? That was one of those moments. And I'm sure Mary was kind of in this moment. And sometimes you need clarity in that moment. Like, is this happening? And for me, it was that phone call the next day. Man, if she picks up and we have a conversation, we're in a relationship. This is actually happening. Mary, she goes over to Elizabeth's house. All she does is walk in the door. Elizabeth hears her in the other room, and then boom, she's filled with the Holy Ghost, and she says, blessed are you among women because you carry my Lord, right? At that moment, it must have been real for Mary. Like, I did not just dream this vision of the angel. Like, this is not made up in my head. Now, now Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and prophesying what is going on in my womb. And so we read in James chapter 5, verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Mary just found out the most incredible news in her life. And what does she do? She begins to sing praise. And in her song, she says, basically, you have, you have looked on your servant from a humble estate. You have looked on your lowly servant. Humble means lowly. I'm in this lowly place here. I should not be carrying such royalty inside me. Mary recognized the fact that the truth was that she was a nobody. She didn't have power. She didn't have wealth. She didn't have title. One of the most amazing things about Jesus' birth is here is the most amazing king coming into the world, and you would think in human terms this King would be birthed at the center of power in the middle of Rome to the greatest, what was then, dynasty of the emperor that was just beginning to start in Rome. But no, instead, Mary recognizes, you come to my lowly estate, my lowly person. You've chosen me. Here she is. Many people think Mary was a mid-teenage girl, a very young girl carrying the Savior of the world, and she looks at God and says, basically, who am I? This is why I'm praising you, God, right now. Something amazing happened to me, and I just, no one in a million years would have thought that I deserved this. James 1.9 says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. This is what Mary is doing. In her lowly place, she is now boasting in the Lord. You are the one who has exalted me. You are the one who uplifts me. If you have ever been in a place in your life where you have felt too weak, you have felt too unimportant to be used by God, then there's something that you have to realize in the story of Mary. It's this, that you are in a perfect place for God to choose you. 
Now, if you think back 2,000 years ago, that was before the women's suffrage movement. That was before the feminist movement. This is a time where women had no rights. They were not given any land ownership. They were not given any voting power. They were not allowed to be seen in a court of law giving witness because their testimony was not good enough in a court, and so they weren't allowed to be there. And yet, here is God choosing two women from lowly places to have the two most important births of humankind, Elizabeth and Mary. Too often when we think about God, we think about platform, we think about perfection, we think about strength, and what we need to realize is we are looking at ourselves through a human lens. Where humans, we judge each other by our titles, we judge each other by how strong we are. We judge each other by how much is in our bank account, by what kind of car we drive. We judge each other by what kind of family we come from, what kind of status that we have in society. This is human nature. And a lot of times we project that same type of judgment on God. And we look at ourselves and we look at how weak we are, we look at how humble we are, and we say, I could never be used in a great way by God. But yet all throughout scripture, there's something that continually happens. God uses the lowly and the weak to accomplish great things. I mean, if you look at Moses, one of the great lawgivers of all of human history. I mean, he is still studied among law school students today. This is a guy who was used to speak before Pharaoh when he had a speech impediment. That he was a shepherd for 40 years and yet was used to go into Egypt and free the people of Israel. When God said, I'm going to use you in this way, Moses said, me? Who are you talking to, God? Don't you know me? That's the thing God does. He made you. When I think of Rahab, who was not even Jewish, and she was a prostitute in a foreign city that was against the people of God, you would think God doesn't want to use someone like that. But Rahab makes it into the genealogy of Jesus. We have to realize that God loves to show off. And you know, when he does that in my life is when I can finally acknowledge that I'm too weak to accomplish something on my own. If you are here today and you feel too weak, too low, too worthless for God to ever mind you or care about you, you have to realize something. And that is the exact opposite of how you feel and what you think is what God does. In fact, he is looking for the ones who are able to admit their weakness and their lowliness as the ones that he wants to work through and to use. So often we use moments of weakness and unimportance to feel free to live in sin. We think that because of the world standards, we are nobodies and that God must no longer care. When truly those conditions are ripe ground for God to move. 
Your obedience and your humility in the hardest of times is testing ground for God to bring his exaltation to you. As Mary says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary is called blessed forever now. She is carrying the Savior. I mean, there are people that take it too far at this point, And there's a, a cult of Mary that worship Mary as idolatry. But in our tradition, we get to say that she is blessed among women. And she realizes what is happening. And she's saying, man, this is what people are going to say about me forever. But when God exalts her, it's not so that she is called great or that her name is called holy. Her blessing reflects well on God. The only time that our blessing in our life doesn't speak to God's greatness is when we think that we were great enough to achieve it on our own. Our blessing in our life should glorify God because people will say, look at what God did in Justin. God must be great. God must be holy. You know, and that's why I always say a lot of people don't know me in my pre-Jesus days. <laughs> you know, everybody has their pre-Jesus stories. Some of you live in that right now. You're in your pre-Jesus life. It's all right. That's why you're here. But man, if you, even some of my best friends don't know my pre-Jesus days, but the people that do know my pre-Jesus days and they look at me now, they, they only have one reaction. You, you may be tempted to say it like, look how amazing Justin is. But that's because you don't know where I came from. You don't know the insecure maniac that I was. There you go. Mike is like, I could tell him all day right now. <laughs> you don't know the pornography addict that I was. You don't know about the life of lies and, and hiding that I lived every single day. You don't know about what went on in my mind that when I thought about who was to be used by God, I was the farthest thing that I thought of someone to be used by God. And so you see God's end product now and you think, wow, he must be great. But no, when, when people look at me, I think, man, it must glorify the Father. He is great and holy for he is the only one that can do such a thing as this. So you know what, when people think that, they look at me and they think, man, that guy is, how did he get to the place that he got? He's, he's inadequate for that position. Anybody ever say that you're too dumb for where you are in life or you're too inadequate for where you are? You ever feel that way yourself? You know what, I've, I've learned to be fine with that when people look at me that way. And the reason I've learned to become fine like that is because largely I agree with them. Honestly, I agree. I, I never thought I should be where I am today. 
Why? Because it's only through the blessing of God, his mighty power, and his holiness that I am afforded anything that I have. If your blessings do not point to God's greatness, but your own personal prowess, then you are crossing over from the humble and lowly that God will exalt to the mighty that he will take down. If your life does not reflect the glory of God, then you are beginning to move down the line of low and humble to mighty and great. Mary says this, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. From generation to generation, there has been a truth that God has mercy on those who fear him. The fear of the Lord causes obedience, it causes wisdom, it causes reverence, and the ones who do not fear him become proud, become mighty in their own right. Their blessing does not speak to the mightiness of God, but to the strength of their own hands. Here it says that God will scatter the proud and take down the mighty. We can remember what James says, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The proud and the mighty perceive that they have no need of God. Whenever I am getting to a place in my life where I think I'm good enough to last today without being before God, there I have learned to fear those moments in my life. Because those are the moments that I am becoming proud those are the moments that I think I can actually accomplish this on my own, that I am mighty enough, that I have become disciplined enough to do this myself. Consciously, we will say when we are proud and mighty that there is no God because I am in charge of my own destiny. Unconsciously, we will say, look at what I have done and all the good things I have made myself. Sometimes we don't even realize the pride beginning to seep in because we begin to get proud of the things in our life. We begin to realize, man, look at what I have done. You know, I used to believe this lie that everything I did in ministry glorified God and everything I did in business glorified me. I used to think that everything I did in business was my domain and I can take credit for and I can boast about, but everything I did in ministry was only God's domain. But God had to change something in my heart where I realized, man, everything I do in business, everything I do in my family, and everything I do in ministry is God's glory. There is no realm in my life that is untouched by his hand. And if there is a place in my life that is not touched by him, then that place I've learned is doomed to fail. What happens is when we become proud, we elevate ourselves to an equal state with God. And what that does is when we try to become equal at God, that brings us in opposition with him. And Mary realizes, and scripture speaks to this, that what? God exalts the humble. 
We see this again in James. He says in James chapter 4, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The humble, the people who are humble are the ones whose blessings reflect God's glory and not their own prudence. The humble are the ones who, when something happens, the, the blessings of their lives, the good gifts that they receive from above, they speak to the greatness and the mighty deeds of God, to the wisdom of God, and not to the wisdom of humans. Because Mary says, For he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The poor, the hungry, the thirsty, they come to him to be, feel, to be filled. They no longer leave poor, they don't leave hungry, and they don't leave thirsty when they go before God. We see this in Jesus' ministry all the time, that he feeds the 5,000, the 3,000. He feeds them physically, and he feeds them spiritually. He says to the crowd that he gives, he breaks the bread and blesses it so that all can eat. And by the woman at the well, he tells her when she's drawing water, anyone who drinks of the water that I have will never thirst again. In James chapter 2, verse 5, James reminds the church its duty to act like Jesus. And he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Mary was excited about the justice and the salvation that was finally coming into the world through the baby in her womb. It was fulfilling promises all the way back to Abraham the father of the people of Israel. That when Jesus came into the world, it was good news for the lowly, for the humble, for the hungry, for the poor. Because they would be fed. They would be exalted. Their just lawgiver was coming into the world with judgment. The song that Mary sings, it reveals two things that I want to look at. The first thing is that Jesus' coming was good news for the humble, for the lowly, and for God-fearing people. Jesus' coming was also a call to repent for the proud, for the mighty, and for the oppressive. When we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world, we celebrate more than just a birth. It is much more than that. We celebrate that God has taken the cause of the lowly, the weak, and the poor, our cause. Something that we need to realize in life is no matter what humans call us, whatever our status is among people, Whatever our bank account or our checkbook says about us, that we have all been ravaged by sin 
and the bank account of our spiritual heart is empty. We are poor in all spiritual things. We are weak because we could not defeat sin and death on our own. That we are humble before God saying, you achieve what none of us could. Living a perfect life, coming into the world just like all of us do as a fragile baby. What happens is when we come before God, so often we see Jesus talk about this, that the possessions of this world, the things of this world that we so desperately try to accumulate, so desperately try to hoard, so desperately continue to build mountains and kingdoms for ourselves, become meaningless before him in eternity. Will we realize that when we stand before the throne of God, that all of us, no matter what our human status or possessions are, are lowly, are weak, and are poor. Sin has done what it has done to every single one of us here. And what has happened is that a people have become proud, and we would say to God, we do not need you. I can do this on my own. And we look at our own life and we look at, look at what I can build, look at what I can accomplish, look at what I can do with the works of my hand. And you know, one of the amazing things I think about, when I think about 2018, I think about our technology today, and something that I think about Netflix is the amount of documentaries that you can watch on Netflix. Uh, and so once in a while, I go and I look at a documentary and there seems to be a theme Whenever I watch documentaries about people who have it all, these are the people that you look at their life and you think, wow, if I could only have that. And so often, this theme that I watch in these documentaries is really what they're revealing is the bankruptness of the heart, is that no matter how many how much fame you accumulate, no matter how many followers you get on Instagram, no matter how great you become in the eyes of others, if you do not have the satisfaction of eternal life given to you only through the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then at the end of the day, you are poor. And that is why so often we see that so many of these famous people go to such extremes to ending their life or coming to a place of hopelessness, ending up in rehab, it's because these things have proven time and time again, generation after generation, empire after empire, nation after nation, that they do not satisfy. They do not fill in the gaps that so many people think these gaps will fill. There is only one person who has become poor so that everyone else could become rich, and that is Jesus Christ. And we celebrate with Mary today what she said, that he looked upon my humble estate. He looked upon my lowly place, where all of us can come before God today and say, thank you, God. That even though I am spiritually bankrupt, even though I am morally bankrupt, even though I may be financially bankrupt, it does not matter in front of your throne. 
What matters is that Jesus has come. He has entered in as Emmanuel, God with us, as Jesus, as Yahweh is salvation. And he has looked upon his lowly servants and he has filled them with good gifts, with his grace. Today we have the opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. We can rejoice together in our lowly place, knowing that God has chosen the poor in the world to become rich in his kingdom. We can repent of the ways that our pride has built us up in opposition to God's work in our life of the ways that we have taken credit for the blessing and the good in our life and return the glory to the one who deserves it all so that we can leave here singing, holy is his name. This Christmas, we can join Mary in her song of praise, praising God at the coming of our Lord, the coming of justice, the coming of salvation, and the coming of freedom for all who are humble enough to believe. Can you stand with me? God, we thank you that your spirit is here among us right now. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to open up our hearts to you right now, to receive the grace that you are giving. Lord, that we would be able to praise your name and celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ entering into the world. That if we came in this morning feeling too incapable, too weak, too bankrupt in our heart, God, that we would walk away as Mary did, singing praise to the great and mighty God. That you are looking to exalt your humble servants this morning. That we would not Lord, look at our lives the way the world looks at us, but we would begin to look at ourselves through the lens that you have given us. Lord, if we are here right now, Lord, and we have lived in opposition to you, whether conscious or unconscious, that we have risen up and taken the blessings of this world and allowed the glory to be given to us, Lord, I pray that repentance would come upon our hearts right now that we would humble ourselves before you and that we would repent and that we would believe in the good things that you have done.